You're listening to the Unhelded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths. Each week, we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media, and we analyze these events. Just as in Jesus' day, Pharisees still walk the earth. Among them today are the celebrity Christians who support wars in the Middle East to protect Israel. In our Pharisee Watch portion of the program, we feature stories about the unchristlike acts of these modern-day Pharisees. Our programs are led by Charles E. Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, and author and editor of the Pharisee Watch, and unheralded news features on our website, whtt.org. Joining Chuck are four other founders of We Hold These Truths. Travis Steele is the owner of Steele Engineering. Mark Horton is the president of Ultra Clean Corporation. Chuck McCollum is the owner of Oakshade Development. And Tom Compton is a retired sales engineer and your announcer. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Ford. Welcome to our podcast. In today's unheralded news, we've got some really interesting items. Last week, if you joined us, there was an item about the protest held at John Hagee's church in San Antonio where 11 Hispanic people were arrested. And this week, Travis has really got an interesting item here. Max Blumenthal, a Jewish activist, interviewed Genevieve Rodriguez of Esperanza, the group that some members were present and as it was pointed out last week, Esperanza said it wasn't an official protest on, on their part, so it was a, of their individual members. Travis? Genevieve Rodriguez says, quote, We caught him off guard with just our thoughts and our courage. We want to do more actions in solidarity with the Palestinians, and we want to continue to expose Hagee financially. We have contacts inside his church, and we want to set a serious campaign up that makes a dent in his support for the settlements and to Israel since they depend on people like Hagee. People inside Hagee's organization are starting to realize the hypocrisy that he represents and are starting to build relationships with us. As far as the way he handles business, bracket, our inside contacts have, in bracket, hinted that he's corrupt that he mistreats women and workers, and that there's a whole lot of evidence of it. Thank you. And you can get that link on our homepage at bhtt.org. That's a major breakthrough, I, I think, that they have inside contacts. Typically, when we've done our visuals, we do have some people that are members of churches, and we had one good example of a lady that started her own vigils in a church we had been to several years before. So it makes it all that much more effective when you have people inside. And so this is really good news, and we want to tip our hats to Max Blumenfall for for having this interview with this courageous lady. Anybody want to add some comments or thoughts on that? Well, I think the credit here really goes to uh, Esperanza, whether they say so or not, and Genevieve Rodriguez and those people. And it's good that Blumenthal has interviewed them. But uh, he's just the interviewer in this thing, and, and it's this Esperanza group that uh, we would urge our our listeners to contact in San Antonio, Texas. And they have a website, and if you want to pat them on the back, 
by all means, get a hold of them and tell them thanks for doing this and for showing other people how to do it because that's what they're doing. And our article that we published a few, uh, last week on the same issue has the links to Esperanza right in it. So look, look up that article in Unheralded News. All right, our next item, of course, falls under that topic designation of why we aren't surprised. It's entitled, Israeli Prime Minister Rebuffs U.S. President Demand. This is from Press TV, May 24th. Quote, addressing the U.S. Congress on Tuesday, Netanyahu said that Israel could not return to the, quote, unquote, indefensible borders which existed in 1967. He said, quote, any peace deal must take into account the dramatic demographic changes that have occurred since 1967, unquote, he said. Netanyahu made the remarks after he took the same stance in his address to the annual conference of the American Israel Public Affairs Committee in Washington on Monday. Obama, in his Middle East speech last week, insisted that the borders issue should be the basis for stalled direct talks between Israel and the Palestinian Authority. The U.S.-sponsored negotiations between the two sides canceled after Tel Aviv refused to extend its partial 10-month freeze on settlement activities. Netanyahu also said that the Palestinian resistance movement of Hamas was not a partner for peace with Israel. The Israeli Prime Minister also rejected Palestinians' demands of having East Al-Quds, which is the Arabic name for Jerusalem, as the capital of the future Palestinian state. Quote, Jerusalem must never again be divided. Jerusalem must remain the United Capital of Israel, unquote, he said, referring to Netanyahu. Israel occupied Al-Quds and the West Bank in the 1967 war and later annexed it, despite opposition from the international community in line with plans to grab the entire Al-Quds as what it refers to as its, quote, an eternal and indivisible capital, unquote. Meanwhile, a Palestinian official said on Tuesday that Netanyahu has added more obstacles on the road to peace with his speech on Monday, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said the two sides should have two states, quote, with secure and recognized borders based on the 1967 lines with mutually agreed swaps, unquote. Commenting on President Obama's position, she said, quote, as the president now has said twice in the last three days, this is a well-known formula to all those who have worked on this issue for a generation, unquote. Now, it's interesting, we expect this from Netanyahu, and I was fortunate enough to take a look at Democracy Now!, their broadcast of May 20th, Friday. This was prior to the speech in front of APAC and in front of Congress, but it was on the speech by President Obama, the big speech calling for these return to the borders. And in their studios, they had three guests. They had Norman Finkelstein, noted Jewish political scientist, a critic of Israeli's policies against the Palestinians, a Palestinian human rights lawyer, a young lady, and the president, forget his name, of J Street. This is the moderate Jewish group that supposedly is countering APAC. They still believe that Israel has a right to exist and they're a little more moderate. And the interesting thing, 
when they started this section, they read from a proclamation from 2004 by then-President George Bush. It essentially said the same thing. We're going to return to the 1967 border. So we're getting the, the rhetoric once again, and this was pointed out very aptly by Norman Finkelstein in the interview. And then as a another part of the not related to this particular incident with with Obama's speech and Netanyahu and so forth, their last guest was one of the authors of the Goldstone Report. He's a former colonel, Irish colonel. He actually lived in Israel with his family, and uh, he, uh, with the other three members of the Goldstone Report, have not renounced. They've stood by what the Goldstone Report came out with, contrary to the exceptions put on by Richard Goldstone here of late. So it's a, it's a very significant broadcast. That I, I just noticed this one phrase that's so Israeli. This is this is so typical of the way they talk, and we learn to accept these kind of statements as though they are real and mean something. But in fact, they mean the opposite of what they say. Quote Netanyahu saying, "Any peace deal must take into account the dramatic demographic changes that have occurred since 1967." Well, demographic change is a very nice way of saying. We must recognize that we stole their land in and, and bulldoze the houses. And that, those are demographic, and moved in and bulldozed down their houses. Right. That is what he's referring to as demographic changes, basic theft. Israeli citizen Jeff Halper, a Jewish man who heads the Israeli Committee Against Housing Destructions, has said that there's been over 20,000 home demolitions since that 1967 date there. So that certainly reinforces what you said, Chuck. Yeah, and that's only part of it. But the even greater hypocrisy came from our own President Obama because one day he made an announcement where he clearly stated, we expect Israel to return to the 1967 borders. And two days later he spoke to APAC, the big lobbying organization that Netanyahu was here to talk to. And at that APEC meeting, the same Barack Obama stated, our support for Israel is ironclad. Mm. So one day, they have to return to the 67 borders. Next day, our support for them, whatever they want to do, is ironclad. So there's a lot of doublespeak, and certainly what was eye-opening to me when they read what George Bush said was almost, it wasn't word for word, but... What's the same thing? You know, we're just getting more rhetoric no, here to no make us feel good. We're the getting an echo, I think. The only the only issue now is that the uprising in Egypt and uh, overturning of Egypt wasn't didn't happen when George Bush was speaking. So we don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, that'll influence. Yes. Some, but it, I, I agree. It's probably a bunch of rhetoric. Yeah. Well, here, here, next item, uh, Leslie's going to report interesting item from Haritz. Heckler yells, stop Israeli war crimes during Netanyahu's speech to Congress. Haritz, Israel, May 24, 2011. The heckler was identified as Ray Abalia, a 28-year-old Jewish-American activist of Israeli descent who works with human rights organization Code Pink. In a statement released shortly after the incident, Code Pink said, quote, Prime Minister Netanyahu 
says that the 1967 borders are indefensible. But what is really indefensible is the occupation of land, the starvation of Gaza, the jailing of dissenters, and the lack of equal rights in the alleged Israeli democracy. As a Jew and an American taxpayer, I can't be silent when these crimes are being committed in my name and with my tax money, unquote. On Monday, Netanyahu was again interrupted by left-wing protesters who heckled him and criticized his policies toward the Palestinians, as was speaking before the pro-Israel lobby APAC. Protesters from the group Move Over APAC, at least some of whom say they are Jewish, stood up, held up banners, and made statements criticizing Israeli defense policies. Netanyahu's speech at the Jewish Federation's General Assembly in New Orleans in November 2010 was marked by repeated heckling from Jewish students in the audience, protesting loyalty oath legislation, and Israel's occupation of the West Bank before being escorted away. Okay, our next item, Travis. Harold Camping's Mulligan. We've seen this before. Baptist Press, May 24, 2011. Quote, here we go again, Jerry Vines of the former Southern Baptist Convention president wrote in a tweet, quote, if it is invisible, we can't disprove it. Vines asked rhetorically on his Twitter account before pointing to two passages, Matthew 24:36 and Matthew 24:11. The former says that no one knows about the day or hour of Christ's return. The latter says many false prophets will appear and deceive many people, a reference to camping. Denny Burke, associate professor of biblical studies at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, said camping is not has not helped the name of Christ, particularly when it comes to the doctrine of Jesus' second coming. Well, this certainly has gotten a lot of play in the media, and of course yeah. it does go against Christianity, making Christians to look as fools and so forth, right. as opposed to the followers of Christ who follow Christ's example. And, and we see so much throughout the world of Christians, our Christian Zionists who make these outlandish statements about Israel and so forth. Tom, the reason that we chose this particular story out of many about Harold Camping, and we wrote our own Pharisee Watch about that subject, that we circulated one day before his much-publicized event. But the interesting thing about this article was that it comes from the Southern Baptist Convention, which has been the leading organization that has spawned the whole idea of Christian Zionism, or by any name, by by the name of Judeo-Christianity or or uh, Evangelical Dispensationalism or whatever you want to call it. And they have done more to promote this idea of of a Armageddon and a, a radical second coming where there's a war than perhaps any other organization, except, of course, cults like Harold Camping, who goes just a little bit further. You note that uh, Mr. Vines did not former President Vines did not mention that, uh, in, his, in his story he mentioned that the Millerites in 1843 and 1844 twice predicted uh, Jesus' uh, second coming and the end of the world and the rapture, and it didn't happen, but he neglected to mention that Jerry Falwell, Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, and a host of other Southern Baptists have done the same thing, 
but not under the official auspices of the Southern Baptist Convention. These people have all been trained in Southern Baptist seminaries, and they've all gone through the exercise of proclaiming the end of the world at various times, and there are literally dozens more that are not mentioned here. So the problem here is a lot, a lot more than just Harold Camping. It is uh, institutionalized Judeo-Christianity in the name of Christianity, and that is that is who we need to address ourselves to, not the nutcases like Harold Camping. Great. And so maybe there's some hope here that these Christian Zionists realize that they don't have any clothes on, and maybe they need to find the the real clothes. And of course, that's what Jesus taught us. Now for our next two items, Chuck. China asks U.S. to respect Pakistan's sovereignty and independence. This came from the Economic Times of May 24, 2011. And it says, asked about reports that China has asked the U.S. during its recently concluded strategic dialogue with Washington to respect Pakistan's sovereignty in Islamabad came under heavy pressure after bin Laden's killing, Chinese Foreign Minister Zhang Yo told the media here. That sovereignty of territory uh, and territorial integrity of Pakistan must be respected. We believe that Pakistan has made great contributions to the international counterterrorism effort, as well as huge sacrifices. The international community should understand and support Pakistan's effort to restore national stability and develop its economy, said the spokesman from China. Now, why is this important? Recently, China is quoted as making a statement to Washington directly that has been widely quoted, and that statement was that stay away from war with Pakistan. If you start a war with Pakistan, it is a war with China. This came as a really big surprise to me and to a lot of people because I didn't know that Pakistan and China were somehow close allies, but apparently they are. A sort of strange allies because Pakistan is a very Islamic state and China is a very atheistic state. But what you have here is China standing up very boldly and supporting Pakistan as we continue our escalation of all of these bombings and even threats against taking over Pakistan's nuclear facilities. So be aware of this as you read about Pakistan that it is a war target now for the U.S. in our perpetual warring machine, and thus the importance of this interesting statement coming from China. Question? Do you think China would put sanctions on the United States after the... That's a very good question, Leslie. And I I think the answer to that is found in the next issue that we're going to read now, and then we'll maybe discuss them together in the Financial Times previous one being the Economic Times, this is in the Financial Times, of almost the same day, China faces worst drought in 50 years. Financial Times, May 24, 2011. Quote, Chinese authorities will step up the release of water from the Three Gorges Dam in a bid to tackle a drought in southern China that has put pressure on drinking water, crop shipping lanes, and electrical production in what is China's traditionally most river-abundant region. Governor Wang Gosheng 
also chief of the Yangtze River Flood Control and Drought Relief Headquarters, said on Monday that the river has experienced the lowest level of rainfall since 1961, about 60, 40 to 60% less rainfall on average in drought-stricken provinces in its middle and lower reaches, including three, three other provinces. The interesting thing about this is that China is doing tremendously well economically, but uh, they do not produce enough food to feed themselves. And a drought like this in China, which is a legitimate big-time drought that has been publicized many other places, uh, is so bad that a lot of riverboats can't go up and down the rivers now, in addition to being there being a major food shortage. And the question is, if China is forced to import a lot more food, what will that do to the world price of the food? And then the other question is, if China decides they need to import a lot more food, is it possible that they will start selling their enormous hoard of U.S. dollars in order to get, get that food? If China decides to sell dollars rather than, than to print their own money, which is called the yuan, and they do print money too, just like our government does, but not as much. But if China decides to sell U.S. dollars rather than printing yuan, it put, could put enormous economic pressure and even destroy the dollar. So a minute, Leslie asked the question if she thought that China might take the recourse of placing economic sanctions on the United States if we continue to tamper with their ally, Pakistan. And, of course, they not only might do that for, for war reasons, but they have an even better reason to do that, and that being the enormous drought in, our, in, in China where they already have to import food to meet their needs. And if they are forced to do massive imports in the face of very high-priced world commodity prices, China could very well choose to sell their dollars. They hold about a trillion and a half dollars of U.S. government bonds. If they start selling those bonds to buy corn and wheat and, and meat, the value of the U.S. dollar is going to plummet. And, uh, the, and those costs of those very same commodities to us is going to, I don't want to pick numbers, but perhaps double and triples in the, in the supermarkets. It's a very real possibility that our actions in Pakistan and, in fact, all over the, all over the Arab world might result eventually in the far eastern world of Japan and China both ending up dumping dollars which would bring about the end of the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.